So just, just before we go into questions, uh, in summary, for those of you that were there for the, my, my first lecture, we concluded uh, that uh, there's no restriction to um, the ratio of higher order money or credit to uh, money or gold. So in a similar guise on the flip side, there's no restriction per se to uh, the gold futures market in size relative to the amount of uh, cash gold in the system. So um, strange but true, strange but true. So uh, <laughs> any, uh, any questions? Yeah, I've got one just to start, um, Sandy. Professor the other day mentioned about gold hoarders, and probably most of the people in this room are gold hoarders in one way or another. Um, when you say there's no correlation between no correlation between the futures market and the actual gold cash gold market, um, if there was such a thing as a systemic breakdown mm. and gold became money as defined by the Federal Reserve, mm. then surely there would be some sort of um, standard that they would have to revalue gold to make people such as us distort the. Uh, actually bring it out into. What would that be, though? Well, I don't know. That's part of the question I'm asking. Is, uh, the problem is that the more people uh, that, that hoard the gold. Um, well, once you've hoard, well, uh, if you if you hoard gold, uh, it's static, <coughs> and it's no longer moving, um, and obviously it means that there is, you know, as Keith was talking about in his lecture, there's less gold to do the same tasks, so it has to move more quickly. Uh, yeah, exactly. But I mean, India would be an example. I think they estimated yeah. forty thousand tons of mm. gold mm. in India. Mm. Um, it's a lot of gold that could do a lot of moving if there was encouragement. <laughs> uh, getting an Indian to sell his gold is quite—it's uh, <laughs> uh, <exactly. laughs> very tough. <laughs> so there's forty thousand locked up. Yeah. You've got um, probably another forty thousand locked up for people who aren't going to sell. Them. Yeah. So that brings you down to eighty thousand tons, which is what a couple of billion. I don't think that the, well, the 160,000 tonnes total gold, um, that, that was in a National Geographic magazine from, I think it was the mid-90s, and they aggregated all um, recorded gold mine production that they had, and they came up with uh, that figure. But obviously gold was mined and silver was mined for a lot longer than recorded figures exist for. I think there's much, much, much more gold. I mean, if you look at the fact that, I mean, LBMA, the physical market, turns six, seven hundred tons a day. Um, physically. Physically. And. That's the net. So the turnover is even bigger. Yeah, that's the net. You know, and if you look at something like Exxon, Exxon takes. Um, two years to turn its market capital. So, you know, you do that kind of, you know, I'm not saying Exxon is like gold, you know, but um, 
you do that kind of analysis and you come up with um, bigger numbers than uh, than 160,000 tons. So this is not official? Yeah, it's not official. In as much and so far as National Geographic can be official, you know. But, uh, <laughs> If I could just qualify something there, the really only disputed part of that National Geographic amount was the pre-1849 figure. Ah. Subsequent to that, it would appear to be fairly legitimate as much as if one assumes that all gold mining is actually declared. Mm. <laughs> Which, of course, is a wild assumption. <laughs> but those sort of uh, discrepancies wouldn't amount to a whole lot other than you know, maybe 10 or 20,000 tons max. Mm. It's the pre-1849 figure that was an entire guess. Yeah. It was just plucked out of the air and the author admitted as such later. Ah. That figure was still used. It might be worth circulating that to everyone. Do you have that, uh, a copy of that? Um, we'll search it on uh, Google. But, yeah. you know, I, I know who does have it, um, the guy who writes that report out of London, um, Thunder report, Thunder Road report, and he did. No, well, Paul Milkrist. I'm pretty sure it was Paul. Okay, actually. yep. I'll uh, on, on the Gold uh, Standard Institute website. Mm -hmm. yeah, that'd be awesome. I was going to say, I, I don't think the point is necessarily to get people to sell their gold. The idea is, is to get gold to move, which is going to involve building gold credit markets. So whoever has gold now is not looking to just hoard it except to pick up an asset that produces more gold at, at a good attractive rate of return. You can buy a business for one ounce of gold that produces half an ounce a year, then that's a good deal, obviously. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to get real bills to circulate and to get proper gold bonds uh, to circulate, which is an entirely different thing. But mm -hmm. obviously, if paper collapses and gold is money, those who own the gold have the money. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. money is, is very dear, and obviously people took a lot of risks and worked very hard to get it. They have no particular interest in selling it for paper. Hmm. Where should they? Hmm. Paper is falling fast and gold is not. I just want to point out the last, uh, the uh, 19th uh, century, the British Empire was run by the, uh, the, the uh, British uh, Central Bank, Central Bank of England, and in their warehouse, in their vault, for that century, there was only 150 to 200 tons of gold. Not 150,000 tons of gold. This is in the official records. That represented so, about 50% of world trade. Yeah. The empire, obviously, was about 75% of the world. Mm. And all that, that gold sitting in there, but properly, you know, in a proper, uh, reasonably proper gold standard, was fine. Mm. So we don't have to have more and more and more and more gold. There's plenty of gold. Mm. Just have to have the trust, of which there's great value. Very, very so short awesome. trust, and you're okay. Yeah. Should have trust long on gold. Yeah. <laughs> trust futures. Yeah. Louis. <laughs> <Louis. laughs> um, I have a question on. Um, it's more of a refreshing my memory as to why, once we have the phenomenon of gold going in backwardation, that ultimately it will be permanent backwardation because. Backwardation is a pretty standard feature mm. on, on the commodities futures mm -hmm. exchange. You know, mm. the cycle that oil or anything else goes quite predictably mm. from contango to backwardation back to contango. So, so please remind me what what it is that makes gold different 
in that respect? Um, it's worth uh, just pointing out that uh, when I was talking about the ability to warehouse here, uh, um, if the warehouses for that particular good are full, it's equivalent to there not being any warehouses at all. Uh -huh. right. You know, um, it, 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 it's equivalent. Right. So oil, oil is a lot harder to, uh, to store than gold is, for example. You know, so, um, you know, you just need to build another <coughs> building and you can store more gold, you know. So, um, Sorry, and your question was, uh, why would it be permanent? Yeah. Why would it be permanent? Um, why would, why would do, we, do we believe that it will ultimately be permanent once we've had these small uh, trips into the... Yeah. It's effectively because no one is going to be willing to take that arbitrage profit for some reason. Now, it's either because they realize that when they sell their cash gold, they're not going to get it back on the same terms. Um, or they might get, uh, so they might get a mixture of, uh, of gold and gold leases back, or you know, gold and cash, or something like that. Um, that would be the primary reason, because up until then, every time it has occurred, it has been arbitraged away. So it goes out of backwardation um, after a sufficient price rise. Um, but the extent to which it will remain in backwardation is probably going to get longer and longer, though. Um, now, I don't know what the definition of... Well, I do know what the definition of permanent is, but um, in this context, it's hard to, to say what permanent will be. You know, it, it, we could be in a position where it stays in backwardation for, let's say, three months, you know, across many different contracts, and then goes out again, you know. And then the next time it occurs, it's, you know, four months, and then five. So it looks like it's tending towards permanent, as the trust is... Um, oh, there's no question that the trend is that. Yeah. It's just that... I think I can add uh, something uh, to this thought why once the threshold is reached the uh, permanent gold backwardation will be permanent it will not swing back because uh, you have to look at the alternative the alternative to uh, gold is uh, the uh, money issued by central banks. So let's assume that there is some movement towards swinging back from backwardation to contango. The thing is that the quality of the issues of the central banks have to do with the quality of the assets in the balance sheet of these central banks, you see? And now we have a taste of what's going on, haven't we? Because as the gold price was moving up, the 
central banks and the governments overseeing these central banks threw a lot of toxic sludge into, onto the balance sheet of these banks. And therefore gold is competing against this toxic sludge. Mm. So it's not hard to predict who is going to be the winner. <laughs> this is just the talk. If I could say one other thing to answer a different part of what I, what I thought was Louis' question, why is backwardation in gold more significant than backwardation in any other commodity? You know, oil goes in and out of backwardation. I think oil is backwardated right now, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the, the greens go in and out of backwardation. And the answer is gold has such enormous stocks of flows that any backwardation should be arbitraged away. Whereas, because the stocks of flows are so low in oil, it may not be possible to arbitrage it away. And also, the storage capacity for gold is effectively unlimited. Mm. I don't think it's limited to, oh, we can only store three bars and then, you know, that's it. All the gold on the planet is stored now. Um, and so, gold can be used to arbitrage away the, back, the backwardation. And the fact that it's not is significant. Yeah. In the case of oil, the oil isn't there to arbitrage the backwardation, and mm -hmm. so therefore it's less significant from a systemic perspective. Mm -hmm. Is that the yeah? Ah, oh. oh, Ben. But could you say that the backwardation in gold, the short-term backwardation, can only be resolved and not become permanent because of the mismatching durations in the futures market? Because to me, it seems that actually any backwardation in gold should lead because it's, it's a positive feedback loop. It mm -hmm. has to be resolved with higher prices. The higher prices lead to loss in trust and leads to more backwardation, actually. So uh, you're asking? Um, this the mismatching of durations mm -hmm. the reason why a short-term backwardation doesn't get into long-term uh, back permanent backwardation right away. So we had a few short-term liquidations, but they were resolved through higher prices, which no. actually shouldn't resolve them. No, the backwardation is a result of the mismatch, not the uh, the other way, uh, not the other way around. Well, you got that again. <laughs> <laughs> well, but but through the mismatch, they they can resolve the backwardation too. I mean, only if someone gives them a lump of gold. The mismatch is extended. <coughs> well, then it's not going to be, it's not going to come out of the woodwork just then. Yeah. You know. It's gonna. Oh yeah, it will. you're just kicking the bucket down the uh, down the road. Yeah. Um, you in the second diagram you showed just now to multiply the futures market, mm. right? Uh, so. According to you, if this is the only way to multiply the future market, shouldn't futures go to lending plus spot plus physical? It cannot be more than that unless there's another reason why. Well, if you could get an estimate for the total number of gold leases, mm -hmm. which you won't, um, because that's, uh, <laughs> that's quite uh, privileged information. You know, you will find a relationship between that and the size of the futures market. Yeah. But that is completely <coughs> verboten to anyone who's not in the bank in question. Um, sorry. Hmm. But I could create a shot in the future easily with my account. I just shot 10 contract. Yep. There you are. 10 exists without involving me or the, the other party. 
And if it's go, I just create the tank contract will be more than your two. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. So you'll have to cough it up or roll the contract though at some point, you know. So I know, but you know, uh, any instant, look at the outstanding contract, long or short. Mm. Um, this scenario might be one, but uh, I could. All the speculator or gambler can create another thousand contracts. Well, if you did, and you started selling them on the market, and you were depressing the bid of the future that you're selling onto, uh, assuming that trust is still in the system, someone will come and start selling spot gold and buying uh, the futures that you're selling. You know, because they, they will take that they will take that. You're, you're creating an arbitrage opportunity for them. Sure, I understand that. You know, and it, it, uh, if you were doing it, it, it uh, so, do you see what I mean? It would be arbitraged away so that if you were doing that, it would still go to Contango. Yeah. You know. I agree with that. Mm. I'm just answering to Cheng Li's Okay. Question. Yeah. He yeah. was mentioning that if you know how many leases, there's one he leases here. Yeah. And you can one have. physical here. Yeah. They are Two future. I mean, there are three obligations to be fulfilled mm. and one piece of gold. Mm. But I could have created 20 obligations and one piece of gold with my account. I could. I, I just shot 10 contracts, then there are 12, uh, there are 13 obligations now with one piece of gold. So yeah. I think, let me just interject here. I think what Sandeep is showing here are legitimate arbitrages. Okay. What you're talking about is just a naked short. Yes. Which would be outside of this altogether. If somebody wants to do 100,000, dare I deem it illegitimate, naked, non arbitrage shorts, then the first time the gold price spikes up $60, that person will be destroyed and then it doesn't happen anymore. So the question is using only legitimate arbitrages, where people are borrowing with a legitimate profit opportunity that they're exploiting, people are leasing with a legitimate profit opportunity, people are selling <coughs> futures with. In a, in a fully hedged way, is there any finite limit to the growth of that system or not? And I think what Sandeep is saying is there isn't any particular finite limit. Although at any given moment, there would be some connection between, in the current market, between gold leases and gold futures contracts. Mm. It wouldn't necessarily be one-to-one. -one. No. And I'm sure if you plotted it over time, like any other graph in the yeah. markets, it would have jitter, yeah. you know, go up and down. Yeah. No, I understand what you say. Ben? Ben was first. Oh, I just asked, uh, could you say a sentence or two about why it is that only gold, silver, and copper have an active lending market? No. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, there's no reason per se why. I mean, uh, <laughs> you can have a, a lending market in cabbages, you know, if people are, are willing to. I imagine the spreads will be quite wide, though. Um, you can only have a lending market in, in a fungible good, really. So it, that restricts the, the number of things that... And there are not many people... Uh, but everything that is a futures market is a fungible good. Uh, so there has to be some other differentiator. Well, no, exactly. There has to be a willingness for people to keep accounts in the good in question. So, so there are people who are willing to keep their accounts in gold and silver. And, and copper. copper. And copper, yeah. But then there's all the currencies. 
Yeah. So it's not just these three. No, 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 no. I mean, this applies to, to currency markets. You know, gold is a currency. Mm. You know, so of course this applies to uh, currency markets as well. You would see that fu currency futures markets are much bigger than the underlying cash markets for that currency. In a similar way uh, to, to this. And doesn't it happen to some extent in oil? I know oil's reserves are limited, but you know when um, back in about 2008 when they had all these tankers mm. in the Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. of oil, just mm. part, well it did happen to some extent then, didn't it? Well that was an interesting episode, but um, those if you look at the way uh, that the carrion oil was behaving just before summer 2008, it was going very, very sharply higher. And then it, um, sorry, the, the, the carrying oil started to go up sharply as a precursor to the price collapsing. And um, as the price was collapsing, the, the, the carry went even higher. And I think it got to about sort of 9, 10, 12%, something like that on an annualized basis. So those tankers were not there to, to just scoop up oil and just hold it. They were there scooping up oil and selling futures and locking in a 12% return on their capital. You know, so that, that, was the, that was the reason that these, they saw there was a huge change in a comparatively risk-free arbitrage that you couldn't have done before the crash in the oil price that you could do after the crash in the oil price. And those, those tankers came out of nowhere, you know, and there was a rush to have new tankers just to capture that spread. So, short-term oil balances? Well, oil, there's not a, there, there isn't a lending market for, for cash oil, you know, so um, it, it, it's slightly different to that. No, it is or it isn't? Isn't. It's, it's not. Isn't, yeah. Well, the thing with the oil contracts, too, is that you, if you take a contract on oil, you actually physically have to take delivery. Mm. And the idea is just to turn them over. Yeah. And uh, I think a few people were caught, mm. which caused that plunge because people just had to unload. Otherwise, they'd get a tank on their doorstep for 20,000 a day. Thank you. Uh, I suspect, correct me if you think I'm wrong, that mm. there's a correlation between starts to flow. I mean, if the stuff goes through like mad, mm. what's the point of lending it? What's mm. the profit in that? And perhaps the specific value as well. In mm. other words, it's much easier to warehouse, and it's sitting there. And lending it seems to be reasonable. Mm. Whereas the oil is flowing through, it's hard enough to store it. Yeah. Never mind store it and lend it. Exactly. And, stuff. So the, and, and it's interesting that you only put three out there. Mm. Silver, and th that's probably not as active a lending market as gold. No. Gold is primo. Mm. And the other one, well, a little bit, but then I hear about Chinese warehouses across the yep. an acre, so maybe there's a little more stuff to flow in the real world of copper. So you tend to find that there's a lending market for goods which have very high stocks to flow ratios. That's what I thought. And as we said from day one, that's a facet of constant marginal, or near enough constant marginal utility. You know, so, and what's that? That's money. <laughs> so, 
It's only money and money-like things, I suppose, that have an active lending market. Sure, if you're going to borrow it and use it up, mm. what's the point? Mm. <laughs> Louis? What, what makes possible the multiple futures contracts on a single lump of the yellow metal is the leasing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, assuming no naked shorts, mm. you know, legitimate. Um, so leasing, being able to lease gold is fundamental mm. in all of this. Mm. Um, what would, what, why would A stop leasing uh, if it goes back in backwardation? Or why would uh, B not again lease it to someone else? Or why can't that go on? No, no, it can. And it, and it does. But the only thing is, though, that um, A won't bother buying gold at some point and selling the future because there's not enough premium for him to do it. Sure. So then the amount of leasable gold will just sort of stop, you know. So the person that... Uh, will it? Well, it, 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 well it, I mean, there's still money to be made to lease your gold. There is, but it, the, the, the market will have to change for that, to, for people to, to want to carry it in the first place. If someone's willing to carry it, you've got the gold lock there, the future there, then they'll lend it out. But if no one wants to carry it, just keep it there. You know, that's not gold that's available for, uh, for leasing. You know, so when A lent to B, who sells to C, C did this. But C could have just put it in his pocket and run off, you know. So then that gold is not available to do Or C could have lent it. Or C could have lent it, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, but at some point, you know, as you go down the chain, it will stop, you know, because you're closing, you'll, you'll come to some kind of bound, you know, that is, it's not sufficient for, you know, because let's say when this chap is doing it, you get plus 10. When he's doing it, you might only get plus 8. You know, and then there will be a threshold plus 3, and then the person who sold, the person who... who yeah, but again, you're comparing the cost of buying the gold and the, the premium you make by selling a future. No, 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 no. All I'm saying is that at some point, this will not happen. I know, but, but the lease can carry on. You can own gold and lend it to somebody and they pay you to possess but your gold. Why would they do that? I mean, that's the thing. Why would they get income? Yeah, but they, they, they wouldn't do it because they need to get income, right? So um, what Sandeep, I guess, is saying is at some stage there's no income there, so there's no demand for leasing. Mm. Sandy, if mm. I was a, I wouldn't lease my gold because I wouldn't trust oh, or anyone else coming in the back. And furthermore, I probably only, if I would lease it, it would be for a gold return, not for a paper return. Yeah. So I think again, it comes down to trust. To, to even start this thing, the guy who lends it out, he lends it. He expects to get it back. The well, thing that bounds this is is like when we were talking about money and higher order money. <coughs> So Professor said there's no restriction to the amount of credit that can be behind a lump of gold. But obviously there is a restriction if you can't find any productive enterprise, you know, for the credit in the first place. That's the restriction, you know. So the restriction here is that this iterative 
self-similar process will stop when someone deems A, that the lease rate is insufficient for them to lend it out. Why should I lend out my gold if I'm him and I'm only getting 0.1%? You know, or why should I buy the gold and sell a future if I'm only getting plus three? So then that is sort of like a natural bound to the, uh, to it, to the system. Just like there's a natural bound. Of course, but we don't know for sure that the lease rate would go down to zero. No, 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 I mean, yeah. No, but every, every step in this process, borrowing gold and selling it and buying back a future, or uh, buying gold, leasing it, and selling the future, those are arbitrages that compress their respective spreads. And so they'll continue until those spreads hit the marginal line and yeah. it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. And then the question is, what happens as it goes into backwardation and people are coming up short? Well, then if, what's going to happen is the cost of doing these things goes up, but the, the profit goes down at the same time. And so everyone is going to look at the market and see no opportunity. Mm. And there's no, there's no go button to hit that yeah. day. And then the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the market just sort of seizes up or freezes mm. up. That would be how that would be. That, that would be the observed symptom, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask, the, the gold bond... Um, idea that Professor Petiti um, put to us this morning, is there a place for the le for leasing within that? So if you, if a um, country offers um, a gold bond, can that gold have been leased up to somebody else? Do you see that as part of it? Did you hear that, Professor? I have to go there because I need an interpreter. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Even with my hearing aid, I was not able to catch the sense of your remarks. So. Uh, Fiona was saying that uh, in the schematics of uh, issuing gold bonds, um, would that be... Um, would that be? Uh, would that exclude the possibility of a gold leasing market at the same time? Could you lend the gold behind the gold bond? Well, leasing is just another form of issuing, <coughs> selling bonds. Yeah. Uh, the difference is technical. Mm. So the question is: Do you mean leasing against uh, lease money in? I think it's irredeemable. It, yeah. Or, mm. or is it a gold lease, mm. uh, meaning the lease money is paid in gold? Mm. Mm. If it is, then there's no difference. Yeah. If it isn't, then <laughs> the answer is obvious. Mm. I don't think that's your question, though. I think. Well, I'm just thinking, so this way I right. see it that there's a lot of trust involved. Yeah. And you know, if you can sell something into the future and you can lease it out, mm. oh, what do you um, So the whole premise of this gold bond scheme is that um, there's trust. So therefore, if a government has gold and they say, I will issue a bond against my gold, my gold is collateral, and effectively that bond is like a future in that I'm saying I'm promising delivery you know, in the future, so then can that government then also say, and I'm going to go and lease it to somebody while I'm sitting on it? 
I'll just interject. Professor said that it's irrelevant whether a country has gold or not to issuing gold bonds. So the, the question is, can the country induce a gold income having written a gold bond? Attract it. Attract it. Oh, okay. you know, so Which is an entirely different problem. Mm. And it should be approached quite differently by the government to make the, the uh, country uh, what's the word? welcome gold mm, because think. some countries just hate gold now gold will not go there mm. you would have to force gold and gold would be kicking and streaming, mm. <laughs> screaming against the idea but if, if the government makes uh, its hospitality obvious mm. then gold will go there on its own and, and, and of course that means dismantling the welfare state, it means uh, uh, bad banking should be allowed to collapse, uh, go bankrupt and so on, a lot of things. If the country does these things, then gold will be pleased to go there. We, we don't see it very much because the last time it happened was in 1939. Now how many of us could be, I mean, I was already uh, around, but I was uh, six years old, and I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't even know that it happened. Uh, France and Switzerland and the rest of the uh, gold-blocked countries uh, abandoned the gold standard. So, so this is uh, something we don't have any first-hand experience. Uh, what kind of uh, climate it should be that gold is going to flow freely from one country to another. I don't know if this helps, but... Yep, I, I see how I had a wrong understanding. So, gold bonds, um, governments or anybody who issued a gold bond could default just the same as anything else. Oh. If they didn't end up getting the gold, they thought, sure. attracting the gold, they thought they would. Mm. Um, I would like to add another thought to this. Uh, a lot of books which write about gold would mention that uh, gold has conductivity and it has ref reflecting light and whatever, and also mention the fact from uh, uh, particle physics or uh, atomic uh, theory that gold has a an atomic number of 79, and this makes it, you see gold is not the heaviest metal. <coughs> there are other uh, elements with higher atomic numbers, but there is a problem with them. Radioactive. And unstable in some ways. Like I think bismuth, does anybody know offhand what is the atomic number of bismuth? I think it's heavier than gold. Osmonium. Osmonium is heavier. Osmonium. Right. Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah. I don't know the topic. But the fact about gold is that it is the heaviest stable element in the periodic table. I think that's a true mm. fact. Mm. 
Now just imagine the amount of research which went into that chapter of science, atomic theory. I'm not referring just to gold, but to all the spectrum of the radioactive elements and unstable elements and artificial elements which have been created. Just imagine the amount of research. Now, if one thousandth of that effort had gone into studying why gold is an extreme in economic terms, just like it is an extreme in physical terms, just one hundred, we would be so knowledgeable and all this discussion would be pointless because it would be so obvious as it is today why, uh, why gold is important in physics because it's the heaviest stable, heaviest stable element. And we have missed all that. Be and and this, is not, this is not accident, is it? It was blocked. The other research effort was going to take place, was blocked. And the government gave orders, and the orders were carried out by the research departments of the Federal Reserve Banks and the Federal Reserve Board and all the private banks that you just stifled that type of research. Now, I don't think this could be proved, but it's obvious because why did all that research, why was it done? in physics, and why not in economics? Same type of question, quite different consequences, but human knowledge was not allowed <coughs> to search for the truth and disseminate truth, as far as economics is concerned, since about 1930. That was the cutoff here. Keynes published his theory of money. See? It's criminal, really. It is criminal. It's worse than uh, the Soviet Union's example of, of uh, Lysenkoism, if you know what I mean. But they uh, literally and physically exterminated all those biologists and geneticists who contradicted the ab absolutely rubbish theory of Lysenko. What was? Because Lysenko was given the power by Stalin to uh, prosecute uh, anybody who contradicted his th thesis that the property of living organisms can be changed by changing environment. In other words, uh, the government has this magic power of telling the plant that now your yield will have to increase 25% or else. And then, of course, all these uh, pusillanimous uh, biologists started writing papers and publishing books that yes, 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 all the government has to do is this and that and that, and it will happen. Because Stalin thinks, and Stalin found his uh, 
thought policeman in biology by the name of Lysenko, you see? Now, something very similar happened <coughs> in the West. But why I am ashamed is not that it happened, but it happened without the machine guns which Stalin put into the hands of Lysenko. There was no machine gun. There's not even a, a, a threat of assassination or something. I know nowadays the CIA carries out uh, assassination orders, but in those days it didn't happen. And without machine guns, without uh, gulag and what else the Soviet Union had at its disposal, they could do the same thing. And I'm not making a speech in favor of gold. I'm just, I'm a scientist. And I'm just so much ashamed that this can happen without the help of machine guns. I'm utterly ashamed. And please take it as a genuine gesture. I admit at the end of my career that I'm not proud that I was a scientist in the 20th century. I'm not proud because of these blots. Stalin, yes, obviously it's terrible, but more terrible than Stalin is Roosevelt mm. and Nixon and the rest of them. That's, that's my confession to you. Thank you. Uh, if I can just interject, I think there is a gun. It's a soft gun in the West. Soft gun? Soft. What it's, is not, it? it's not direct. Ah. But by controlling who gets funding for their research and who does not. Well, there is a little bit of difference uh, giving up uh, income and giving up life, isn't there? No, no, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a softer approach, but there's still a gun behind it. The government taxes every business and every person to the point where they don't have fresh money to pay for their own research and their own education and everything else. They've given that budget to the government. Yeah, that's right. And then the they tax away the potential yeah. money which would support private research. Okay. I mean, I mean, uh, this is <coughs> first-hand experience for me. I was taxed at a very high rate while I was uh, teaching mathematics at Memorial University of Newfoundland for 40 years, for 35 years. And uh, then I could file out piles of uh, application forms to various funding agencies and, and bag a, a little fraction back because I wanted to do research. And then I had to support it with documents that this research is promoting the public good, whatever they meant by that, mm. you see. And I was so thoroughly disgusted uh, and this actually this started in earnest in I started teaching in Canada in 1958 that was my first year and uh, this was still very very uh, little known that you can get government money to support your research but a couple of years later everybody was doing it so I was badgered by the head of the department that, why don't you apply? No, okay, I said, I take a look. And I looked at it and I was so thoroughly disgusted that I never, ever applied. 
for government uh, research money. And if it had been research money from a Federal Reserve Bank, I would have even I would have been even more disgusted, you know. <laughs> now, you, it may sound to you a sour grape <laughs> complex. I leave it to you to decide whether I'm genuine or not. I think I, I just hate this idea of government-supported research. And just look at what the Federal Reserve Banks have been doing with this money which was taxed away from every one of us, you know? If, if you lived in the United States or Canada. Okay. Um, any more questions? I've got one that might be slightly dumb. <laughs> but it's back to um, sort of Monday's lecture, gold and higher water money. Mm. And that credit that's created in the system. Mm. Is there any way that it can be inflation -rich? Uh, well, you can, uh, yeah, because you can you can issue credit in excess of um, that which is naturally demanded. Yeah. So if you if you're pushing the interest rate below, we're getting into technical details here, but below time preference, you know, then um, it is inflationary. Yeah. It is inflationary. What you're saying under your system itself, correct? Yeah. Gold. But the interest rate is just a it's just a precipitation of of that you know whereas the government comes in and says no that's the wrong rate push it down a bit and the act of pushing it down is is obviously you're you're, you're creating fraudulent I suppose credit so self-correcting yeah Really? Mind if I make a comment, Sandeep? It's, it's got to do with you guys coming up with insights and ideas and stuff. It always triggers some new thinking. Mm. It brings me back to my own presentation yesterday about the, the bills market, and, and uh, Keith brought up that there's no uh, crash possible in that market. And like the professor said, there's no bid-ask spread. I thought about this a little more, and of course, the bonds are bid for when they're primarily released. Their, their genesis is a bidding process. And of course, the secondary market also is a bidding, that is to say, selling and buying. That's not how bills come into existence. It's, it's more like a commercial transaction. So you have to, that's another good reason to separate them, and the market cannot crash. Now, I already said it can't go to zero because people have to eat. But it also can't go above a limit set by the physical constraints of the economy. If, if the retailer wants to order 15,000 turkeys and there are only 10,000 in the lot, that's it. So if you think about every uh, manufacturing process, whatever, is maxed out, the economy is at full 100% run, there's no more bills that can be issued. Unlike credit. That can be, you know, and then you talk about the Fed pushing on the gas and the economy is overheating, then you have to put the brakes <coughs> on. But now, of course, it's not overheating, it's a different story. But just another, another example of self regulating, self limiting stuff. Mm. 
Any more questions? I think uh, we'll call it a day then. Thanks very much. Thank you.